he says, you are a priest forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I like to pick up this week where Canon Josh Bales left us last week. You'll recall that he showed you the crucifix that, that he carries with him when he can, and this isn't that, and um, how he saw as his father was lying on his sick, on his deathbed, he saw in the crucifix a picture of the Savior bearing his father's sorrows as well. I, I carry a crucifix around as well, and it reminds me of the same thing. And in our vesting sacristy, we have a crucifix that reminds us, even as we put these garbs on to represent Christ and to help God's people go into his presence, that his arms embrace all of us in our sufferings. But our, our past, I, I want to offer a brief pastoral word first on John 12 that brings in another dimension of what these arms stretched out do. The story begins with the Greeks who come. To this point, Jesus has been saying, it's not my time, it's not my hour. And all of a sudden, these strangers to the promises of Israel come, and he goes, now, here we go. The great African fourth century theologian Athanasius says, part of what happens when Jesus is lifted up on the cross is he's taken up into the air, where the prince of the power, where the prince of the air, the power of darkness rules, who has divided people from one another. And with one arm, Jesus takes hold of the new people that he would win, the Gentiles. And with the other hand, he takes hold of the, of the old people, the Jews, that he would bring together. And on his cross, he is reaching out to both people that he might bring them together. And as Paul would say, make them one new humanity in himself, reconcile them to one another, to the Father, thus making peace. It seems that we need to update that all the time. So today, I simply want to say this. With one arm, the Jesus who stretches out his arms, with one arm embraces Asian and Asian American women who work in spas in Atlanta, and with the other takes hold of Atlanta suburbanites. With one hand, he takes hold of children who mass at our border, and at the, uh, with the other hand, he takes hold of Texas, of Texas ranchers, brings them together in his body, and reconciles them to the Father and to one another. If you live in Paramore, if you live in Windermere, if you're worshiping with us from West Yorkshire, England, or whether you're worshiping with us from Orlando Lutheran Towers, it doesn't matter your zip code. He calls you into his new Jerusalem. It doesn't matter what tribe you're from. He makes you a member of his own household, his own family. 
And here's the punchline for us. Our God, through His Son Jesus Christ's outstretched arms, delights in the richness of the people tapestry that He is weaving. All the colors, all the textures, and hear this and hear it well. He calls us to love what He loves and to love whom He loves. Please give me an amen. 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 But what I really want to talk about today is Hebrews chapter 5, for which I have another image. This is a sculpture of two sets of praying hands, a small prayer, a small set of hands, that would be your hands, my hands in prayer, and then a set of larger hands, also praying, upholding and supporting the smaller hands. The writer to the Hebrews today is talking about this dynamic. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now, I don't know about you, but my first thought about this passage is that the writer to the Hebrews is, is, is asking us to think about the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his arrest. When Jesus has that momentary doubt about whether he he needs to go through what he needs to go through and prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. I'd suggest, though, that this prayer is not that prayer. This is a different prayer, or actually set of prayers. And let let me say four things about what I think the writer to the Hebrews is talking about here. First. This is not a prayer to be rescued from death. This is a prayer that once he is in death, that he be brought out of death. There are two Greek prepositions. One is the preposition that we use when we say, deliver us from evil. The preposition that Jesus used when he says, let this cup pass from me. That's not this preposition. This is the preposition that's used when I say, if I were to sing, I come from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Or if you're on vacation and somebody asks you, where are you from? And you say, I'm from Florida or wherever. One is a from that doesn't involve being in it. The other is a from that means you were in it and you're brought out of it. And a better translation here would be that he offers up prayers to the one who's able to save him out of death, because that's what he's praying for. What's open for us for a brief moment is a window into the councils of eternity, where there must have been a conversation between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, looking down at the mess that we had made of our lives and of our planet. And they go, what are we going to do? And they agree, 
that the Father will send the Son. The Son will go to a cruel cross to bear the weight of it all. And the Spirit would empower his life, would raise him from the dead, and then through him bring new energy and life into the planet. And what Jesus is doing is pleading with his Father, Father, remember, do not leave me in the abyss of death, but raise me up. It is a look back on the conversation that launched the mission, God so loved the world that he gave. It's why the writer to the Hebrews can call him apostle, which means sent one. This is the prayer that the Father will be faithful to raise him up out of death. That's the first thing. It's a prayer to be brought out of death. The second thing is that it's a prayer that receives a yes answer. He was heard because of his reverent submission. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Father said no. The Father said no to that prayer so he could say yes to this prayer. And in saying no to the prayer of Gethsemane and yes to this prayer, he says, says yes to you and me. Jesus didn't die for his own sins because he didn't have sins for which to die. He died for your sins and mine. He died that those of us who were dead could be made alive. The Father says yes to us by saying yes to Jesus in this prayer. And th the third thing is that it's a prayer that runs throughout Jesus' life. It's the, the loud cries and supplications over the course of his life. They're the prayers that sustain him on the cross. Father, forgive them. It's the and their prayers that sustain you and me now. For as the writer to the Hebrews will say in two chapters, he ever lives to intercede. No, this isn't a last minute, one-off, desperate foxhole prayer for the Father to reconsider the plan, though the tears in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we'll be pondering in just a few days, are more than understandable. No, these are the deeper prayers the prayers of resolute tears and committed cries that the Son offers who has come among us to be one of us in our tears and our cries for release. This is the kind of praying that Jesus did during those many, many periods when he slipped off at night to be by himself or rather, to be with his Father. As Luke says, yet Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. And the fourth thing is that they are prayer for the sake of an eternal priesthood. Did you notice that earlier in the passage today, Jesus is given a priesthood that lasts forever. If it's a forever priesthood, it can't end at death. Priests take care of people. They represent people to God, 
and represent God to people. And the only way that Jesus could be our forever priest is if his priesthood does not end in death. He must live to pray for us in a life after death. And so when Josh imagined Jesus weeping along with him as his father lay on his deathbed, he was not just using a metaphor. It was not just wishful thinking. It was because Jesus anticipated his ongoing work as our priest. The writer to the Hebrews celebrates the fact that Jesus died just once and not over and over again so that he could secure forgiveness of sins and cleansing of our consciences forever. Praise be, and it's hard to resist using that A word that you're not allowed to use during, a, during Lent. If my version of the Christian faith does not have room for a death for sin, I have a big problem. Like Bishop Fulton Sheen said when he encouraged people to keep their eyes on the crucifix, a Christ without a cross is a man without a mission. His mission is to pay a debt that you and I could never pay. And at the same time, if my version of the Christian faith doesn't have a place for a bodily resurrection, I also have a big problem. As Bishop Sheen continues, explaining why it should be a crucifix and not just a picture of an empty cross. And a cross without a Christ is a burden without a reliever. Jesus walked this lonesome valley. He walked it by himself. But you and I can't walk this lonesome valley by ourselves. We don't have to. We can't. We walk it with someone bearing our burden with us. And in large measure, he bears it as he is at the right hand of the Father, as the writer to the Hebrews says, and, and Paul says in Romans 8, inter interceding for you and me, praying for you and me. Getting our sins forgiven is only the first half of Jesus' work as our forever priest. Getting us all the way home and fitting us for home is the other half. My friend Joel Hunter likes to tell a story of his friend, Junior Barnes. Now, little Joey Hunter, now Joel's always been kind of small, and when he was a kid, he was really small. Little Joey Hunter, growing up in Indiana, used to get picked on by the mean kids in his school. But somehow he becomes friends with this gargantuan hulk of a guy named Junior Barnes. Remember the movie My Bodyguard? It's, it's, Junior Barnes is like my bodyguard. And one day, little Joey and Junior Barnes are playing, and they decide that they're going to climb up this tree. It's a tree that's thick with branches and leaves, and Junior Barnes clambers up in the lower part of the tree, and Joey is about to climb up, and then 
the mean boys come around the corner and they see little Joey all by himself under that tree and they come up to him and say, Joey, we're going to tear you up. We're going to get you. And little Joey says, I don't think so. And they go, well, who's going to stop us? You and what army? And Joey goes, that army. At which point, Junior Barnes leans down from the branches that have made him invisible and says, yeah, this army. And they, those mean boys, take off. That's what you and I got in heaven, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, I know I'm not going to make it because I'm smart enough or good-looking enough, because I'm right enough or privileged enough. I'm not going to make it because I'm scrappy enough or witty enough, because I'm mean enough or charming enough. I'm not going to make it because I'm godly enough or even whether I give enough or pray enough. I'm going to make it because I have a Junior Barnes in my Jesus Christ in heaven praying for me, defending me all the way through. Jesus Christ is praying for us, with us, and in us. He's praying for us, with us, and in us, in our sickbed. He's praying for us, with us, and in us, in the unemployment line. He's praying for us, with us, and in us, in the vaccine line. He's praying for us, with us, and in us, every time the mean boys come after us every time the curses come at us. Jesus Christ ever lives to intercede for you and me. And may you and I rest and lift up our feeble, our feeble feeling prayers, knowing that they are held by His strong prayers. And now, to Him who is able to keep you from falling, from stumbling, and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of His glory with rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.